Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone. I uh, just wanted to note that I've changed one of the words to the title of this sermon uh, from call to obligation. From call to obligation. Obligation to holiness, brotherly love and spiritual growth. I hope that is made clear and, and heard clearly throughout the message today. Uh we are ever looking to make ever good improvements to the service and the way we broadcast the service. Um, the guys are working really hard and people are getting involved and recording things like we've seen this morning. Uh, one of the improvements I see is that I am now smaller on the screen. Um, I'm not sure if it's just for this week or this is going to be an ongoing thing, but yeah, I think it is an improvement. If you take yourself back uh, six months ago uh, to November uh, no, uh, 2019, life was pretty normal um, and we we're having a conversation in the foyer after church and, and I start telling you about what's going to happen in 2020. I'm telling you that the government are going to tell us we cannot meet in church. There's going to be over a million people by May who are unemployed. We're not going to be able to travel internationally. In fact, the, the premiers of states have said that the borders are closed and we can't even travel interstate. In fact, basically, we can't even go from our house except for a few reasons. Uh, you would probably think in November 2019, Josh needs some real heavy medication from his uh, father-in-law. Or um, what, what country are you actually talking about? Uh, Australia is nothing like that. It's not until you have the facts or a statement of truth that gives context and you can believe the things that you are hearing are real. It's not until you're told that there is a pandemic, a world crisis, a worldwide disease that is affecting millions and killing thousands called COVID-19 that you would deem those restrictions appropriate. First Peter is written to Christians, it's written to Christians scattered all over the world. Uh, Christians in this time when Peter was writing to them, they were social outcasts. They were looked down upon. They, they were uh, harassed by authorities. They were living in a hostile society. And in the verses we are looking at today and, and actually for the rest of the book, there are a lot of, of do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that and, and be like this. But it's not the way Peter started the book. Peter doesn't lead with, 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 with all these instructions and, and maybe seem a bit, come across a bit harsh and a bit cold to these persecuted Christians. Peter starts and with, in chapter 1, what we heard from Lee last week in chapter 1 verses 1 to 12 is, is the context to the book. It's the foundation on which the instruction and the commands come from. 
You won't find any questions or commands in verses 1 to 12, but what you will find is some wonderful statements about our salvation and our hope in Christ. The statements, I'll just quickly read through them, which we looked at last week from verses 3 to 12. Praise be to God. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Through faith we are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. You may have had to suffer trials. Your faith would be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Christ is revealed. You are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. That is the good news. That is the statement of truth regarding our salvation, our position, our identity in Christ. And it's the foundation and it's the context for the rest of the book of First Peter and our obligation, our obligation, what should be our desire for this life is what Peter starts to now mention. And the commands that come from verses 13 through to chapter 2, verses 8 and onwards, but they're the ones we're looking at today. Prepare your minds, be self-controlled, set your hope, do not conform, be holy, live as strangers in fear, love one another, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, crave spiritual milk, grow up in your salvation. Not obligated to do these things for salvation, but because of your salvation. These commands and directions from Peter won't get you salvation, but they should be the evidence of your salvation. And in this letter, Peter puts a focus on our obligations as the evidence of our salvation, the obligations in our relationships. And in the passage today, we're looking at a relationship with God, a relationship with one another, other Christians, and an internal focus on ourselves, our spiritual. We're not going to have time this morning to look at every command from these verses, but as Peter draws his readers' focus to their relationship with God, Let's look at three of these commands. Set your, live with hope or set your hope fully. Be holy and live with fear. Peter continuously mentions hope through this letter. He states it in verse 3. We've been born again into a living hope. So, so hope for the Christian is, is a result of salvation. Salvation brings hope. Before you had, when you didn't have a relationship with Jesus, there was no hope. Now you are in Christ, there is hope. And that hope is in the inheritance that awaits you in heaven, that is eternal, that doesn't perish, that doesn't spoil or fade. It is in the grace that God pours out on you in this life and in the grace that awaits you when Jesus returns and all satisfying eternal grace 
And even though now, he says, you may suffer, even though now you may suffer, rejoice, rejoice in what is to come. Live with hope. Let it be what motivates you, what what drives you through the circumstances of this life. Because what is to come is so far greater and eternal. The word holy for me is is quite overwhelming. I've gone too far there, sorry. The word holy for me is quite overwhelming. It it, it can it it is such a, a huge word with huge meaning. And and I can't grasp the fullness of the term holy and and, and God's holiness. It is what makes God sovereign and his uniqueness, his oneness. He is perfect. He is the benchmark. He is the standard of purity. He is holy. Verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. There's a few key words that I just want to highlight from from these verses that speak about being holy. The first one is called. We are called to salvation in Jesus. We are called to a new life in Jesus. And that new life is to become like Christ. That is our calling, that is our purpose, to become Christ-like. And there are also children. It mentions there that we are children. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says that we are not our own. We have been bought at a price. Through salvation... We have been adopted into the family of God. We belong to God. We belong to him. We are his children. I am his and he is mine. No longer ignorant. Through salvation our eyes are open. Open to the righteousness of God. Open to the character and nature of who God is. And how he wants us to live. And it says we have new desires. Salvation brings about new desires. The only other place that that, that phrase do not conform uh, appears is in Romans 12. Really well known verse. Talks about do not conform to the evil desires uh, uh, speaks to the transformation that salvation brings in your life. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. And here it says, do not conform to the evil desires you once had when you were ignorant. We know better. We know Christ now. We should know better. We're not ignorant. We have new desires. We belong to him. And these new desires to be holy, 
because Christ is holy, are born out of a mindset of being self-controlled, a mindset of being sober and being born again. Seeing and knowing the truth of Christ and his holiness and desiring that holiness to be true in us. I love uh, Proverbs 8.13. speaks of the fear of the Lord. It says that the fear of the Lord is to hate, to hate evil. We usually run away from our fears. Uh, Last year or the year before, Stuart and Carolyn had a, a snake in their front yard. I am terribly scared of snakes I cannot stand them Uh, and I don't know many people that actually like them but there is this one guy he's called a snake catcher or something around this area so uh, Carolyn called him and he came and he chased he got after it but uh, every time we go over to their place it hasn't been much recently but every time we go to their place it was in their front yard I'm always walking down the steps I always having a look over my shoulder is that little is there a snake around here I fear snakes my uh, backyard I'm not much of a gardener but my backyard uh, the lawn gets long sometimes in fact my cheeky second child uh told me the other day that we could play hide and seek and she would hide behind the blades of grass. But I quite often find myself saying, I'm just going to mow the lawn because I don't want snakes. (laughs) We usually run away from our fears. But our fear of the Lord is to drive us towards him. You see, the fear of God comes from an understanding of how powerful he is, of his hatred towards sin, of the truth that that he is the ultimate judge of humanity. And people who live in sin with ignorance to who God is, they show no fear towards God because they don't want to believe in who he is. But you, you have been bought, not with gold or silver, but the price of your salvation is the death of Jesus Christ. And fear comes from knowledge of who God is and that isn't to have you run away from him, but it is to draw you into him. And to run away from sin. Draw you to God who is forgiving and merciful and gracious. This earthly life is temporary. We are citizens of heaven. And one of the versions that I was reading talks about us living as exiles. The NIV here has strangers. Allow your life to be lived in fear of who God is. That you would seek after his holiness. Because of salvation, 
because of what we've read about in verses 1 to 12, we are obligated in our relationship to God to live in hope, live in fear and be holy. The second relationship we wanted to look at was with and with one another. The impact salvation has on us as believers is that we have an obligation in the way that we love one another. It states there in verse 22, we're to love deeply from the heart. To love deeply for one another from the heart. And, and that, that, that command is really sandwiched in between two identifying truths. The first is that we are purified by obeying the truth. And the second way is that we are born again through the word of God. The love of God which is eternal, which is unconditional and perfect in every way is not just made available to you through salvation but it should be evident in your life. Verse 23 says, "If For you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's Peter's go-to phrase when he talks about faith and being redeemed in our inheritance it's 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 imperishable it's not going to fade it's not going to spoil it's eternal and now the seed the word of god by which we are born again is imperishable it's alive and it's enduring as much as the world would want you to think that the that the, the world is full of love It's not. There will be consequences for loving one another deeply from the heart. It's not the love the world shows. This love doesn't chase after the glory the world offers. As Isaiah wrote, the glory will men will wither and it will fall away. But the word of God will never, never fail you. It will stand up through all generations. It will stand up through all world wars, through all pandemics. The word of the Lord stands forever. And that second truth, the other truth that we mentioned first in in verse 22, it's our response, our response to the word. That is us being purified by obeying the truth. When Peter got up in in front of the council at Jerusalem, uh, you read about that in Acts 15, verse 9, he, he was arguing to them, about salvation being for the Gentiles. And he said that God has purified their hearts by faith. In obedience to the truth of the gospel, believing by faith in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, 
He purifies us and he cleanses us from our sin. And this is the requirement for this deep love for one another. God's word and its way of making us born again and our response of obedience to the truth. So I ask you this morning, do you know the truth of God's word? Do you know the way God has made it available to be forgiven and be in a relationship with him? Can you say this morning that you have responded in obedience to the truth and by faith been saved? Being cleansed from your sin, being purified is something only God can do. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. And the third Relationship point I wanted to look at was internally, our spiritual growth. I've gone one too far. That looks delicious. I'll come back to that. I'll just leave it up there for you to be tempted by. It says there in in in, uh, in chapter two, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. In fact, I'll just read verses 1 to 3 just to give us the the context here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul wrote about the word of God as as milk in the context that they were immature Christians. They weren't ready for solids. But that is not the context here. And it's important to note that the, the context here is like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. That's the word of God. It's in contrast to the craving of the worldly desires in verse 1. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, every kind. Spiritual growth will only happen when the desire of the believer is to be in the word of God. Now I'll get to that picture because it looks so good. That was my dessert last night. That is an apple tart tin with a homemade ice cream that has... Uh, like uh, tof- uh, apple caramelised apple juice that reduces down you put it through that if you watch MasterChef you'll probably recognise that dish uh, Jock, one of the uh, judges uh, on MasterChef he, he cooked this during the week um, I sort of forgot Rachel sort of said during the week when watching oh I'd like to make that and so she did last night um, she she cooked that, uh, we sat down for dessert, we ate that and I had a spoonful of that and wow, phew, I, was, uh, I was just taken back. It was delicious. It's fair to say Rachel has won immunity. Um, she'll be going through to the next round 
Uh, it was a fabulous dish. Um, and I didn't want that bowl to end. I had a taste of that and just wanted more. I actually said to Rachel, if you weren't here, I think I would go in and destroy the rest of that apple tartar tin on the bench. The point here, it says, through salvation. Through salvation, you have tasted the goodness of God. The things of verses 1 to 12 of our salvation and those statements of truth, we have tasted the goodness of God. We haven't got it all, we have just tasted it. I want to tell you this morning, don't let that taste be enough. I was saved at a very young age and from a very young age I tasted the goodness of God. I'm ashamed to say that throughout my life I haven't craved that taste of goodness from the word of God consistently. Don't let just the taste of salvation be enough of God's goodness. He has so much more to offer. This is not a suggestion from Peter to these Christians and to you and me this morning. It's an obligation on you. You've tasted the goodness of God in salvation. Now crave his word. Don't crave the things of this world. Crave God's word and get into it because that's where you will find more and more of his goodness. I know I mentioned that the statements of truth were in the first 12 verses and and we're leading into these commands. But uh, this passage that we're looking at today, it finishes with one of the greatest statements of truth, of who we are in Christ. Because of our salvation, who we are in Christ, our identity in him. In comparison to the verses before, the those who have rejected Christ stumble and fall. But this is who you are. And I'm not going to expand on this. I just want to finish with this, these verses, this passage. And it's there for you on the screen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. 
Oh, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we have it so easily around us to be able to just look up on the internet or grab it off our shelf. May we not get complacent with it, but crave more of it, of your goodness. With your Holy Spirit powerfully use these words this morning to encourage us and bless us from your word that we would become more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. Enjoy your day and enjoy your week.